Um, can I just say again, as always, it's just a real joy and, and privilege. Sorry, it looks really awkward. I'm holding this up. I'm getting the talk. Um, it's just <laughs> it's just a real joy and privilege to be able to share um, from God God's Word with uh, my church family again this morning. Um, so, Psalms for a season. Uh, I'm just going to read um, Psalm 4. Answer me when I call to you, my righteous God. Give me relief from my distress. Have mercy on me and hear my prayer. How long will you people turn my glory into shame? How long will you love delusions and seek false gods? Know that the Lord has set apart his faithful servant for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. Tremble and do not sin. When you're on your beds, search your hearts and be silent. Offer the sacrifices of the righteous and trust in the Lord. Many, Lord, are asking, who will bring us prosperity? Let the light of your face shine on us. You fill my heart with joy when their grain and new wine abound. In peace, I will lie down and sleep. For you alone, Lord, make me dwell in safety. Um, let's pray just quickly. Um, Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that it's alive, that it's vibrant, it's dynamic. I thank you um, that it pierces um, our hearts and speaks to your circumstances. I thank you that this psalm has been speaking to me this year, and I pray as I share some thoughts from it, um, you would uh, meet with us um, individually um, and do something new. Minister to us this morning, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, I'm going to be really honest. Um, the book of Psalms um, is a book of the Bible that I uh, struggled with when I first became a Christian. Uh, this is like uh, not a diss in the book of Psalms, but I found it really repetitive and hard to get into. Um, uh, even though I knew that it was so many people's favorite book of Scripture. But the truth is, the older I get, um, the more important the Psalms are becoming to me, um, so much so that they have become the go-to place I go to in the Bible uh, when I'm looking for something and I don't particularly know uh, what it is. Um, I'm not going to presume this morning that everyone knows what the book of Psalms is or even what a psalm is, okay? And it's okay if you don't. Um, the word psalm uh, literally means praise, so the Psalms are a collection of songs gathered up by God's people over the years, uh, mostly associated with King David. And here's what I find especially cool about the Psalms. Most of the Bible um, speaks to us, but the Psalms speak for us. Most of the Bible speaks to us, but the Psalms speak for us. And them. God takes people's prayers and songs and allows them to be part of his word. So when we read them or pray them or sing them, it's, it's kind of like we're having words put into our mouth, but in a really good way. And the Psalms are important because they are the most quoted part of the Old Testament and the New Testament, and they're the part of Scripture that Jesus references most. Um, I love that the Psalms recognize that life is complicated, frustrating, uncertain, unfair. In them, you get all the ups and downs, the good times, the bad times. There's, there's a raw honesty in them 
for, for like a 3,000-year-old, be real, okay? Um, but this is real life through the dynamic, through the lens of dynamic faith in the living God of Israel. Um, it's often said that the Psalms reflect three states we find ourselves in in life. Those are orientation, disorientation, and reorientation. Um, what do I mean by that? Well, orientation, that's the way we see things when everything is going well. Um, when it feels like we're in our stride uh, and nothing's going to affect us. And, and this kind of attitude is reflected in the straightforward confidence psalms. Psalms like, the Lord is my shepherd, or bless the Lord, O my soul. But the truth is, that only reflects certain seasons in our life. Eventually, for all of us, um, some awful crisis will strike, and then we are affected by disorientation. And in fact, most of the psalms, 40, 43 out of the 150, are psalms of lament or complaint. They come from a place of pain, loss, anger, suffering, and injustice. But there are so many complaint psalms included in this book is important as it tells us something. And they teach us the forgotten language and practice of lament. Now, lament is a word that's not used a whole lot today. Um, but it comes from a Hebrew word, which literally means a cry of pain or anguish. So a lamentation is a cry of pain. And the lament psalms are detailed and uncompromisingly honest, which I actually find really refreshing. But God allows these kinds of prayers to be included in his word, teaches us that God is big enough to absorb our legitimate anger and fear and doubt. Um, I was speaking at a at youth camp in the summer, and it was all non-Christians. Most of them had never been to church, and I was trying to make it really light and positive and simple. And uh, I thought I was doing well. And then one of our boys, Mikolai, says to me in the last day, you see everything you're telling us? Why is it all so positive? Because life isn't like that. Um, and he'd land it in something. Um, he'd land it in something I'd missed when I was communicating Christianity to these kids. But lament teaches us that part of being human in this fallen world is that we can't ignore or rush through all the crap stuff. We have to be in it, and we have to move through it and through the aftermath before we come out into a new place. And the Psalms written with that experience that go from, from crisis and disorientation to loss of certainty to the hard-earned new hopeful reality, those are the Psalms of reorientation. So we have orientation, disorientation, and reorientation. Um, and this morning, I've chosen Psalm 4, which I think is a reorientating Psalm. But why did I choose this specific one? Um, I was supposed to preach next week, um, but I had a switch because I've got a residential uh, with a group of 15-year-old boys from Ballysillan and Glencairn next, week, next weekend, which means I will have literally no sleep at all. And anyone who's been on a youth weekend knows that experience of um, sometimes lying in the corridor 
all night, um, just making sure that boys don't go in the girls' dorms and vice versa, right? At one time, I spoke to a retired youth worker, and I asked, what's the secret to a good night's sleep on a youth weekend? And he said, it's easy, sleeping tablets, slip a few in the kids' dinner before you go to bed, and you're guaranteed a fantastic night's sleep. I say retired, I mean fired and imprisoned youth worker, all right? Um, But the last verse of Psalm 4 is famously about sleep. Um, It says, in peace I will lie down and sleep, for you alone, Lord, make me dwell in safety. And if I'm being honest, the reason I chose this psalm is simply because I pray those words every night, and I have done for years. If you use the Lectio app, um, you will do that too. Uh, In peace I will lie down and sleep, for you alone, Lord, make me dwell in safety. And Dave asked us on a preaching team to choose a psalm that meant something to us personally. And these words have meant so much to me in these last few months and years. Also, it's short, okay? It's only a few verses, um, which is significant in a way because it comes right at the beginning of the book of Psalms. So it's kind of like a template for other psalms that will follow. And its structure is pretty simple. I imagine it like this. It starts with David lying in his bed, or something keeping him awake at night. He prays this psalm, and the result is he can lie down and sleep in safety, for God gives him peace. And there's three really simple things in it I want us to think about this morning. And the first is David's plea. Um, a big part of prayer is asking God for things, um, to get things, for things to change, for clarity, uh, for us, for other people, for the world. But being honest, when I'm praying, asking God for stuff, my head goes all over the place. Now, I'm one of these guys, you say something, I'll say, I'll pray about that. And then I'm saying, what am I supposed to be praying about? Um, I think this is especially true when I try to pray in my bed at night. When I'm anxious or my brain's racing and I'm just trying to process what I've been through in that day and what I've got on tomorrow. And here we find David praying, anxious on his bed. But as he does that, he lands in certain realization that lead him in the end to a good night's sleep. But what he's asking, what's he asking for? Um, It's really simple. He says, give me relief from my distress. Give me relief from my distress. A more accurate translation of that verse is this. In my constraint, give me room or or get me out of this tight spot. Simply put, he's asking for freedom. Um, We had a bunch of teenagers up here. We were playing hunts. Uh, I decided to hide. There's like a little... There's like a little cupboard in the organ there, right? Which even Clark and Sharon didn't know about. And I got completely stuck in that cupboard for about 45 minutes. Um, Upside was I won. Um, (laughs) Downside was, uh, yeah. (laughs) But I found myself in that tight spot praying praying this prayer. Get me out of this tight spot, okay? Well, that was a poor illustration, but that's all right. Um, But anyway, the point I'm making is David is really simply asking for freedom, for freedom from a tight spot. Um, And it's not hard to be creative here, to to imagine a blank insert here in this psalm, a give me relief from dot, 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 whatever 
you're going through. So my question this morning is this. What's the tight spot right now you want freedom from as we head deeper into 2023? What things are trapping you, limiting you, scaring you? We're thinking this morning about how the Lord gives us relief from distress and gets us out of those tight spots. Um, the second place David's thoughts land on is the people around him. The reality of the world outside his bedroom window. And his thoughts move to a short lament um, about the people um, who are, I suppose, questioning him, oppressing him. And this short lament is a reminder of that deep truth in the Psalms that as, as people of faith, we don't uh, bypass crisis and loss. And part of experiencing that stuff is calling it out to God exactly as we see and feel it. And in David's mind's eye, he's seeing the people in his life who don't trust in God, but whose lives seem to be going better than his is. Some commentators think the background of this psalm was maybe a time of national crisis, uh, like a drought or a war or a famine. And as good Israelites, the people had started praying to God. But then, as no help came in their frustration, they started turning to other places for help. They ask, who will bring us prosperity? Um, literally translated, they ask, who will show us any good? Who will show us any good? Or who's going to come through for me? And I find it easy sometimes to pray, um, to take my burdens to God, but then the very next minute, instead of leaving it with God, I find myself starting to think and worry about what I've got inside me to get the job done. I start making an itinerary of my resources, an outlay of my options, and I start to hatch a plan. And maybe that's what happened here. We started trusting in God, and then we started to turn to other sources for help. How do you answer that question? Who do you expect to show you some good? Who do you think in the end is going to come through for you? And how does the world typically answer that question? Um, I think the script the world follows is that we have enough in here and there are enough resources out there to live the sort of lives we think we want to live. In other words, as people ask, who can show us any good? They usually look everywhere and, and anywhere except to the God who can meet all our needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus, which is what Paul says in, in Philippians. But you see, David doesn't accept the story of self-sufficiency. He accuses these people of going after delusions and emptiness and lies and urges them towards a different and better way of living, which is pretty bold when you think about it, when it seems in certain ways their life is going better than his. Isn't David the one who is in distress? Isn't David the one who has found himself in a tight spot? And you see, these people have chosen to write God out of the picture, but their lives haven't fallen apart. And I think that's the source of disorientation in this psalm. It's like a battle um, 
between, how to describe it, like reality in small letters, which is the way the world is out there, our everyday experience, and reality in, in capital letters, uh, which is the deeper truths we believe about God, um, about ourselves, according to the Bible. Um, there's the out there reality, which we face every day, and there's the, the in here reality that we're trying to, to, to hold a grip of, that we hold with conviction. But to prior, prioritize the reality of God over the reality of, of the world out there is hard. It's disorientating. It's hard when, when the ones who've left God behind are the ones with the grain and wine, as this Sam puts it, and you don't have that. What's David got from his commitment to God? Because remember the prayer David prays at the start is to get out of a tight spot, and that prayer has not yet been answered. Um, here's the hinge verse. Here's where it turns around. David says, Know that the Lord has set apart his faithful servant for himself. The Lord hears me when I call to him. On his bed, um, as David remembers um, these things, he remembers what God has set him apart. And that verse Okay, literally translate, Yahweh himself listens to me when I call. Or as the message puts it, God listens the split second I call to him. It's not like uh, you're leaving an answer phone message of God and, and God will get back to you. It's not like you've, you've sent a DM and you're waiting for the little circle to turn blue that it's been read, right? God is with him as he's praying. He is listening to him in that minute. David realizes that he is set apart by God and he is listened to by God. And this being listened to uh, when you're in the tight spot is more important, more significant, more true. It's like he's saying, yeah, I don't have what you have right now, but what I do have is better. What I have is a personal relationship with the creator of the universe. And the emphasis here is strongly in, on the uniqueness of this God. David's God is the only God who is able to listen, who is powerful in the long run to act. He's able to trust that God is good because God is literally goodness. He is able to be faithful because God is the one who has promised to be faithful. His trust is grounded in the character of God and who God is is. And it's like when he processes that thought, the penny drops, and he realizes those enemies might be experiencing a windfall right now while I'm going through the mill. But in this moment, through your presence, God, you fill my heart with joy. Um, you fill my heart with joy. And it comes like a thunderbolt. That sense of deep joy we have when we feel the joy of God's presence. In another psalm, David says, your love is better than life. And that's huge when we think about it, to make a declaration like that. Your love, God's love, is better than life. This is the reality of knowing God's presence. Jesus commended Mary for choosing the better part when she sat at his feet and listened to him instead of washing the dishes. So even before David's prayer is answered, he has the best thing you can get because God is with him. He will never leave him nor
forsake him. I don't know if you've had those moments when you've just been struck with a sense of God's presence. Um, I've had them. Sometimes it's like like a heavy blanket of peace coming down on your shoulders or a gentle furnace that's been lit in the core of your being that starts radiating through your whole body. And it happens at the strangest of times. Weirdly, it often happens at the moment of maximum disorientation. Um, On Thursday, uh, a young person I used to work with, he's 16 now, just asked, could he meet up with me for a game of pool? And uh, it was it was really rubbish. Um, he, this guy, he's already lost his dad, and he just found out that his mom was very, very seriously ill. And I listened to him patiently. I left him home, and I asked if I could pray with him. And I prayed, and I always pray with this guy. I have done with years. And after I said, amen, he says, whoa. That was different this time, it was real. And I was like, what do you mean? And the word he used was, I feel peace. I feel peace. In that moment of maximum disorientation, I prayed God had shown up and he had experienced peace. And you see, I think peace is the most underrated thing going. (laughs) It is the most underrated thing going. And you don't value it until you don't have it. And here's the thing, when all you've got is the work of your hands, it can be taken away from you in a second. And it's hard not to worry that you're gonna lose it all. That's why the ultra rich don't sleep easy at night. Go and watch Glass Onion and you'll understand, right? Or just follow what's been going on with Sam Bankman Freed, the billionaire wonder kid who's lost everything. But when all you've got is God, you've already got everything that counts in the end. Because God is the source of everything that is good. And he's at work in the world and in our lives, accomplishing his purposes. That's why at the end of the day, even while he's still waiting for his prayer to be answered, even though he's still in the tight spot, in that moment, David can say, in peace, I will lie down and sleep for you alone, Lord, make me dwell in safety. I'm still in this tight spot, but I'm not going to lose sleep over it. Or as the message says it, I have God's more than enough, more joy in one ordinary day than they get in all their shopping sprees. At day's end, I'm ready for sound sleep for you, God, have put my life back together. When we know God, when we know his peace, it makes all the difference. Now, in a big picture way, God's peace is bigger than just a sense of inner joy. It's to do with the well-being of the whole person, the making right of the whole world. The grain and wine are important too, and David's not disputing that. But when we know God, we trust that he is already working all things out. But we will not be stuck in this place forever. There will be movement eventually. That's why Paul can say, our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. He's not making light of the negative experiences he's going through, okay? 
and the whole and the, and the whole literature of lament in, in, in the scriptures uh, confirms that. But what he's saying is what he's getting in the end, what he's getting in the end, so far outweighs whatever we go through in this life. It makes perseverance worthwhile. It's why he can say to the Philippian church that my God, my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus.